Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. As pro-terror, pro-Hamas American idiots take to the streets to demand Israel show restraint, Democrat politicians are already calling for millions of Gaza refugees to be resettled on our home turf. Um, excuse me, I don't freaking think so. The show starts now. A week ago, over a thousand Israelis were attacked, brutalized, raped, abducted, and or slaughtered by Hamas, the Islamic terror organization elected by the Palestinians to represent them. But just as we knew would happen, now that Israel has made advances into Gaza and into the heart of the Hamas terror hotbed, pro-Hamas activists, along with bleeding heart but well-meaning morons, are calling for Israel to show restraint and calling for peace. Peace? Too little, too late. Many of these people don't believe the atrocities carried out by Hamas, even as Hamas itself has live-streamed the atrocities and celebrated them. These protesters are either evil or stupid or both. Their central argument is that Gaza is home to millions of innocent civilians, innocent civilians and innocent children that Hamas uses as human shields. So what would these bleeding hearts have Israel do? allow Hamas to exist, grow, and terrorize Israel at will so that innocent civilians who are born and raised to hate Jews and exterminate Jews aren't caught up in a war? Liberate Palestine is what these protesters say. Oh, and gas the Jews, but that aside, I agree, Palestine needs to be liberated from Hamas. It's also worth pointing out that not only does Hamas not value your life or my life or Jewish life or Israeli life, Hamas does not value life, period, case in point. Hamas set up roadblocks to keep innocents from fleeing Gaza after ample and days-long warning from Israel to get out. You can't show restraint when dealing with a terror organization. That's a death wish. And here's another thing we knew was coming. Democrats in America calling on the USA to bring in refugees from Gaza. Welcome Refugees from Gaza who have been indoctrinated from birth to hate Jews and hate Americans? What could go wrong? We've already taken in millions of illegal immigrants disguised as asylum seekers. Enough. Close the border and protect America. I'll take that a step further. Homeland Security should make note of these pro-Hamas and pro-terror non-citizen foreign nationals protesting in our streets because they could be a threat to our national security. Let me be clear, we are the land of the free, and that includes the freedom to make stupid and disgusting statements, but we can't be the land of the dumb or the naive. It's not a stretch that at least some of these hateful lunatics are dangerous people. They certainly are comfortable publicly espousing dangerous ideas. And if the FBI is within its jurisdiction to target American parents at school board meetings, surely they can keep an eye on pro-terror activists. Is that controversial? Well, it shouldn't be because it's common sense. You know, I'm so freaking sick and tired of the way this country bends over backwards for people who hate us and want to destroy us and everything we stand for. 
When someone stands in the streets and advocates for terrorism against Americans or against Jews, we should not be coddling them or extending them the benefit of the doubt. It is naive to think that what happened in Israel can't and won't happen here. Joining me now is someone who knows that reality all too well. Mayor Burrell is an Israeli citizen whose job is to respond to emergencies, rescue missions, and disasters. And part of that job included clearing bodies in the streets. And he joins me now. Mayor, thank you so much for taking the time today. Could you describe to my audience and my viewers where you are and what you're doing right now? Okay, so good evening from Israel. Uh, we're coming back now from uh, the killing zone, from the music festival that almost 200 young people dead there. We pass through the places that they've been where they ran away from the terrorist attack with looking for blood or pieces that we can bring to grave them and looking for more people that now still lost and we don't know where are they. We have like 150 people that we lost connection with them and didn't find them yet. So this whole day we looked for them at that zone. Wow. So those people that are still missing, is there a chance that they are being held hostage? So actually, we don't know. You know, Hamas doesn't have rules of war. Uh, human, human rights or, you know, justice is not his way. So we actually don't know what with them. We, we know one thing, that they are lost. We have a list of more than 1,400 people that lost. We have 1,000 bodies in Israel that recognized and... We know about 200 hostages, and there are almost 200 people that lost. We don't find them. So now we're coming back from action with a lot of jeeps that go down to that zone, to the war zone, to looking for them. Wow. So I'll tell you, here in the United States and around the world, there's a lot of protesters in the streets on the side of Palestine, on the side of Hamas. And one of the narratives that they're going with is that all the atrocities that you have seen firsthand, that a lot of those either didn't happen or they weren't as bad as what the media is reporting. So as somebody that's on the ground that's seeing this, could you please clear this up for the people around the world who don't believe how horrible and horrific what you guys have experienced truly was and is? Absolutely, I'll be happy to do that. You know. This whole long day, some reporters from the BBC of UK came with us in our Jeep. And I told them one thing. You are our ambassadors to tell the world our story. You know, there are a lot of lies that I see in the network, in the, in the Facebook, in the Instagram, in the TikTok. I saw a lot of videos of lies on lies. Everybody knows that Israel, Israelis are acting according to the, to the law, the international law. Uh, so everybody knows in the world that Israel, the Israeli army are working according to the, to the military law, the international war laws. But the Palestinians, absolute, Hamas, sorry, absolutely not. And you know, when I work in the army camp of, uh, you know, we get the old bodies 
last week I walked in the army bag, in the army camp, and we got the bodies from the, the war zone. And we check them and prepare them to bring them back to the families for the last way. And I saw hundreds, hundreds of dead people. And at the first day, I saw just regular, you know, they killed them one shot to the head. That's it. That's it. But at last uh, Wednesday, we, the, the, the commander asked from my unit to enter to spatial freezer to start handle spatial bodies. And then I saw how much the terrorism of Hamas, it's absolutely ISIS. They did whatever they want. They did so. You know, I can't even imagine. I want, I, I must to tell you the story of Hovitz family from Be'eri Kibbutz. You know, when, when Kibbutz Be'eri had more than 108 dead people from one site, from one kibbutz, one settlement, and they bring them. So, you know, the, the companies of, of uh, milk or cheese in Israel called Tnuva bring their trucks to, you know, to combine the bodies in them and bring them under cold to the camp, the military camp to handle them. So the, the, the truck entered to the, to the military camp and opened her doors. And then you saw the whole settlement, the whole Be'eri, 108 people in one truck. We start to handle them. And then one of the, one of the guys over there tell me, take this bag and go to the recognized and tell them this is one whole family in a bag. And I go to him. I go to him with bag, Hovitz family. And when they opened the bag, there was just bones, burned bones and one foot. One foot that stays from one family, whole family, one foot. So what we saw, okay, human being can, can't even imagine that. What we saw, it's the terror and with the, all of the lies, you know, with all of the lies, the truth finally will win. I can't imagine how painful that is. I can't imagine the things that you've seen, unimaginable for most Americans, unimaginable for most people. And I can't imagine how frustrating it is for you to watch the way the international media is covering this. And thank you so much for detailing those incredibly difficult stories so people can get just an idea of the atrocities that occurred. Moving forward, we know that Israel is obviously working to defend itself and obviously working to eradicate Hamas. What do you tell the Americans and the people in the UK and around the world about what Israel is doing now and why it's justified that Israel is doing this and responding the way that they are? I have a special line in Hebrew that we say, that we say in a war, everybody loses. During a war, everybody loses. Actually, when I see the people, the Palestinians that in Gaza, my heart broken because I know that their regime is so terrified and so crazy that what, what they're doing to the, their people. But now I going with my people. And if 
They, they people, the Palestinian poor people, support that terror, support those terrified people, the crazy, murderous people. I have no what to say to them, just to be sorry with them, but I'm going with my people. So if we needed to, to, to fight about our legitimacy, to continue to protect our people, I'm with my people. I want to protect my country. I want to protect my people to my children. I have six children. I live in the, in the South. And we live under the, the, the bombs, the rockets. And I ask myself every day, why should I live under rockets? Why should I live under rockets? Why my children, when they hear motorcycle, uh, drive near my house. They sure it's a you know it's a it's a it's a bomb that's coming. It's ever a dome. You know it's the 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 sound before that the bomb is coming. Why why to live under fear? And, and you know this morning the, it was in the radio that the air force of Israel uh, uh, have more than fifteen thousand targets just in Gaza. Of terrors, of terror, and I ask myself: We live under fifteen thousand targets of terror that want to destroy us. Would you live like that? No, absolutely no. So sometimes the strong guy needs to show the poor guy, "Hey, Mister, don't mess with me." And we shout to the world: Don't let the terror continue killing Israelis. They want to make another Holocaust, and we're not gonna make that happen. Not. No, I completely understand what you're saying, and, and I can't imagine what it's like to live in that situation. I know you've got to get going, but the last thing that I want to ask you, because you have the perspective of being there on the ground, you know, there's been a lot of reports in the mainstream media around the world that the people in Palestine, that they're unable to get out, that they have no food, they have no water, they have no electricity, that Israel is doing this to them. Um, what can you tell us about the actual situation and what Hamas is doing to actually keep these people barricaded in? Look, we are in a war, and in a war, even the the people that not have no connection to the war lose. And I hope for the Palestinian people that they have what they need, that they have water. I wish, I wish we live in peace, they and us. That nothing gonna happen. We we sit silent. They will sit in silent. But now we're in a war, and in war, we must win. And sometimes when you need to win, you need to do strong actions. I'm sure, I am sure of my prime minister and the, the government that they have, the, they still have the Jewish heart to not, uh, you know, to protect even the innocent in Gaza. I'm sure of that. As as happened in the last in the last wars in the last uh, uh, actions in in Gaza in the last summer and in in the last few few years that there was a, a, a tiny war against them that Israel Israel continue according to the to the war laws of the international war law and brings them water and gas I'm sure that we continue to do that even. 
that the people here in Israel don't feel that they deserve that. I'm sure we continue to bring, to bring them what they need to survive, but we must win the terror. And we all in Israel, you must, you must to be here. We all support the government now, united to win that ISIS-Hamas terrorism. Right. No, it's certainly understandable. Thank you for taking the time. I know that you're incredibly busy. I'm sure that you're exhausted. Uh, we really appreciate that perspective and getting the truth out, especially to the American people who have been fed so many lies and so much propaganda from the Hamas side. So we appreciate you. God bless you. Please be safe. And, and thank you so much for taking the time. I want to thank you. I want to thank you very much to bring me the, the that that uh, possibility to say my, my my point of view to the world. And I hope people see that and understand what happened in Israel, the real version of the story. Terry, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Be safe and God bless. As Christians, we stand with the Jewish people and we stand with Israel. Many of us are wondering how we can best do that and what our Lord and Savior is asking of us during this time of intense emotion, death, despair, and extreme polarization. Here to help us sort through that from the Christian perspective is Senior Pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Pastor Alan Jackson. Pastor, I'm so happy to have you here because of everything going on in the world. I think a lot of Christians right now also feel a little lost because we know that we have a deep support for Israel and the Israeli people and the Jewish cause, but a lot of Christians out there right now in the United States are wondering what they can best do to show that support or how they should be feeling or what this means to our faith and how our faith unites. So please just walk us through your perspective on all this and how we can as Christians support what's going on in Israel. Right, well I think the first thing is to recognize we're not powerless. Because I think we often imagine we don't have a big enough voice or a big enough platform or we don't have a program. And in reality, you do have a platform and you want to lead with your faith. I think first prayer matters. I would take time. I would spend more time praying than watching the news loop because after about right. 10 minutes, you're up to speed. But then beyond that, you've got to lead with your faith in your peer group. Talk to your friends about it. Tell them what you understand. Somehow we've accepted this notion that we don't talk about what's happening in the world as Christians that we don't want to bring our worldview to bear. And we have to, we have to be willing to say, I think the Jewish people have a right to be in that land. They have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to defend their homes and their children and their parents or their grandparents or whomever. And those conversations to be had in the general public, say I think these protests that we see in Nashville and other cities are ill-informed at least, and they're evil at, I mean, it, it's just inappropriate. And you've got to be willing to use your voice to say that. Silence is complicity with the evil that we see being expressed. Tell us about the Israeli people and the Jewish people and what this means for them. I know that obviously you have a very close connection to Israel. You've been, you've been with these people. What can you tell us from that perspective, what they're experiencing and the faith behind it all that would unite our two faiths that are similar in a lot of ways in most ways? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And I've been in and out of Israel for 50 years. I lived there. I studied at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And I, I think from a foundational level, the Judeo-Christian worldview, a worldview that's formed out of our Bible. You know, the Old Testament, as we call it, is the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's the scripture for the Jewish people. So the worldview we share comes from a common place and a common understanding of the, the, the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of human life and all of those things that 
are a part of our worldview. So in that way, we're more aligned with the Jewish people than any people group on the planet. Even though there's some variations in how we worship, we share that in common. And the Israelis, the Jews that live in the land of Israel, um, are the only democracy in the Middle East. It's right. the only place in the Middle East that gives any semblance, even a nod, at the dignity of human beings. There's about 9 million citizens in Israel. 7 million of them are Jews. 2 million are Arab or Muslim or Druze. And it's a tolerant place. That is not repeated any place else in the Middle East. So we share so many commonalities that just aren't acknowledged in the news and most people are not aware of. You know, there's been so much disproportionate attention given to the displaced Palestinian people. And a tremendous amount of sympathy is maintained in the public sphere for those folks. And there, there's certainly some ways in which the Palestinian people have suffered, but it's been more because the Muslim world understands it's a lever against the Jewish people, and they can keep international pressure on the Israelis by focusing on the plight of the Palestinians rather than solve the plight of the Palestinians. And until we recognize that great truth, the Palestinian people aren't going to get a better future. Right. Well, it's also just being honest about the reality of the situation and the reality of radical Islam and how it operates. It has no value on human life. They don't value their own people. They serve something that is evil, and they serve something that is unlike what the Christian people and the Jewish people value, and that's these pro-terror Hamas, radical Islam, Hezbollah, I mean, name a terrorist organization, they all follow the same narrative. But a lot of Christians right now are watching what's going on in the world, and they're conflicted. And, and they don't want to be, but they are, because they look at the suffering of the Palestinian people who are now going to be going through a war, and they see the innocent children, and a lot of Christians don't know how to take that. They don't know who they should be backing. They back the, the Jewish people, they back Israel, but then they see the suffering and they don't know how to rationalize it in their mind and they, they don't know how to feel about it because the news is telling us, of course, that Israel's cut off water and cut off food and has barricaded these people in. A lot of that is propaganda and lies, but a lot of Christians don't know how to sift through this. What can you tell us in, in our faith how best to interpret what's going on and understand what's going on? Well, let's have a candid conversation. You mentioned radical Islam. And while there's certainly, there's a scale of the people who are Muslim on how they understand their faith, the, the reality is that Islam in general has not demonstrated any ability to control the more radical expressions of their faith. So I think it's illegitimate just to talk about radical Islam being a problem. Islam's a problem because the Islamic states that exist all over the world can't control the crazier portions of the people. They use them to manipulate public opinion, to attack their enemies. They fund them, they protect them, they hide them, they cover for them, mm -hmm. they excuse them. So stop talking to me about radical Islam. Let's talk about the problem that Islam represents because they can't police themselves. And there's not much appetite that for that in the public arena, and there's right. certainly not much appetite for that amongst the Christian community. But it's true. So if we, if we put that on the table, then yes, we can say that the people living under Islam suffer. They still cut off your hand if you steal. I mean, it, it, there's some very barbaric expressions of Islam in our world that are state-sponsored, state-funded. There's incredible wealth in the Muslim world because of the petroleum dollars. You know, if, if we want to get into inconsistencies, while well, they're telling us that we can't have a gas stove in our kitchen because of the, the CO2 and the, we, we're not allowed to pump petroleum in our country any longer, we support these Muslim nations whose entire economy is based upon petroleum dollars without any hesitancy about that, we could change the complexity of the world and the power of the Muslim nations 
if we would just start extracting the crude oil that we have available to us and stop our dependence upon the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's a political manipulation. So all of those are components of this. But the reality of those people, the Palestinian people suffer because they are pawns in a larger game. The people who control those places, the, the, the Muslim authorities, don't care about the people. Billions of dollars have been given for education, for health care. It hasn't gone to the people. It's been siphoned off. Yasser Arafat lived like a king. His wife lived in Paris in, in extreme opulence, and the Palestinian people suffered in the West Bank. Uh, they don't care about the people. In Syria, when there was a civil war in recent years, mm -hmm. five million refugees were released, driven into Europe. It was an invasion, a Muslim invasion of Europe. There was no cry from the Muslim street, from the NGOs, from the UN, that those people be resettled in their historic homeland. They were happy for them to invade Europe. We're 40, 50 years on the other side of the Palestinian problem, and we're still saying there can be no peace until they're settled in their homeland. It's hypocrisy. We don't care about the Palestinian people. We care about pressure upon the Jewish people, the Israelis, because the Muslims cannot tolerate an Israeli-Jewish state in the midst of a territory that once belonged to Islam. The problem today of the attacks that started on October 7th, the horrible, horrific, barbaric expressions of evil, women raped and murdered in their own homes, babies beheaded, burned alive, those are inhumane treatments of one another. And now the Israelis have to respond or they will forfeit their freedom. If their enemies see that weakness, they won't survive in the land a decade. Right. So the question is, what's a proportional response? Uh, it's the wrong question to begin the discussion with because if you tolerate and shelter people who treat other human beings in that way, there is no proportional response. You have to eliminate the ability of that adversary to ever respond again period, because they have forfeited their right to be a combatant in any sort of a civil way. It's not a reasoned response. It's not a rational response. It's an expression of evil, of a complete devaluation of human life and humiliation. And you know, even if the Israelis weren't involved, there's two dozen Americans that have been murdered. Mm -hmm. There's another two dozen or so that have been taken hostage. Our nation should be demanding the release of those hostages by the end of this day or we'll be moving into Gaza and we'll turn it into a pile of rubble. Otherwise, you and I aren't safe when we go back to the Middle East. Right. Well, we're not, a lot of would argue that we're not safe in the United States of America given our border is open and given we've given the world really a, a giant pass and disguise and excuse to come in and infiltrate our country. But that aside, you brought up something that I think is important. You know, we talk about this from the pro-Israel side on social media especially. One of the, the retorts that we get over and over again, myself personally as well as many, many others, is how can you be a Christian and support war? How can you be a Christian and support Israel attacking Gaza with the innocent civilians that make up the majority of the population? How can you be a Christian and be pro-Israel? How would you suggest that somebody who isn't as convicted in their politics or their faith as maybe you or I, how do you suggest that they respond to that or internalize that? Because a lot of Christians, we've talked about this before, they don't want to be called a name and they don't want to be seen as evil or intolerant and they don't know how to navigate it. Right. Well, there's two questions in there. I think one, how do we explain this to a non-Christian world? And then what do we say to the Christians who are cowards? So I'll go with the first one. I think it's a lack of awareness of God. Because what the Bible reveals to us is that God is a God of justice as much as he's a God of love. 
And you, it's, 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 we really shouldn't understand him just as a God of love because he's a just God. And there's an accountability that will come for every life, you know, some in time and some beyond time. And so uh, war, God, God reveals himself as a warrior. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible especially, it talks about the, the, the angelic host. He's the Lord of the armies is the literal translation. It's the modern Israeli word for army. We typically translate it angels or hosts, but it's the God of the armies. When Jesus comes back, it's not just an Old Testament God. When he comes back in the book of Revelation, he's coming back as a conquering king leading the host, the armies of heaven. And he's not coming back for a group hug and to sing Kumbaya. And so when evil is expressed in the world, we are standing within the context of our faith to stand up to that evil. Otherwise, we surrender the freedom and liberty of good people to whatever evil would perpetrate against them. I believe we did God's business when we stood up in World War II. I mean, I could go through history in many places. It wasn't evil or wicked or amoral. We were doing something very moral. Christian history talks about just war theory. There are times and places where we not only have the opportunity to stand up, we have a responsibility to stand up. So then I would say to the current Christian community, stop the cowardice. You're right, if you stand up and you're pro-Israeli in the midst of this conflict, there are people who will call you names. Okay, we get that. If you're a UT fan and you drive from here to the Gulf Coast and you go through Alabama and you put an orange flag on your car, people are going to call you names. That's called life. And we are tough enough to do some difficult things. It's time for us to begin to stand up for what's right. You mentioned the border. Close the border. It's evil. It is wicked. They are stealing from our children and our grandchildren. And it isn't Democrat or Republican. Everybody in Washington at the moment lacks the appetite to deal with it. But it isn't confusing, and it really isn't that conflicting. I think it's mm -hmm. a matter of courage in understanding the truth of Scripture. What do you think of what's going on in America and around the world right now with these protests? Some out there openly pro-Hamas, some with signs that just say free Palestine. I call some of these people the, the well-meaning morons. They believe that they're advocating for something just. They believe that they're advocating for humanity and for people and civilians and families and children. But what do you make of the rise of this anti-Semitism that we're seeing? Also, with these protests in the streets in London, in the United States, and college campuses around this country, it seems to be far darker than we could have ever imagined. It is. Uh, honestly, I've, I've about arrived at the conclusion that most of these protests we see are manipulated people that are great photo ops. And there's somebody intentionally, purposefully orchestrating them, feeding them information to drive a narrative that they want to try to shove through culture. Uh, it's certainly true, I think, right now, but we've seen it with some other events in recent history. They're, they're tremendously inconsistent. When the Saudi Arabians bought our professional golf, which they have done in recent months, th these same people were protesting that the professional golfers were taking blood money from the Saudis. Well, of the actors in the Middle East, the Saudis are probably some of the least confrontational. But now those same protesters are protesting on behalf of Hamas, which is unimaginable. It's so uninformed. They're being manipulated. They're being fed information. Then they're being photographed. The narrative is being written for them, trying to manipulate public opinion on a broad way, in a broad way. And I think they just count on us being so uninformed, so unaware, that we will take whatever they feed us and we will repeat it and we'll stay silent. It's back to your first question. Use your voice. Talk to your friends. 
Talk to the people where you work. Talk about it in the schools where your kids go. Teach your children. We have got to raise a generation and be willing to be aware of what's happening in the world or it's going to get worse. What's interesting to me is that in the last week, we've seen the activism in the streets and on college campuses from this pro-Hamas Palestinian side in such strength and in such numbers. I can't really think of a time where Jewish students or Christian students have ever been able to amass those kind of numbers for any any activism that our communities have ever stood behind. What do you think it is about that side that makes them so much more vocal and so much more proud of their cause? And meanwhile, we sit back and we're even afraid to, to put something pro-Israel on social media. Yeah. Well, candidly, I'm a bit embarrassed. I've, I've spent my life in the Christian church. And I think we have raised generations now where we're so reluctant to speak the truth. If there's anything, anyone that pushes back or raises a hand and says they're offended, we just wilt. And that's unfortunate. But I, my most candid answer to you is, is a, perhaps a little off track in that I think underlying all of this, there's some spiritual forces. The hatred of the Jewish people is not new. That extends back a long, long way. You know, we can go back to the Spanish Inquisition that starts in the 15th century. We can pull it forward to the Russian pogroms, where the Russian Orthodox Church would turn the Cossacks loose in the Jewish communities when there's a drought or a disease or a problem. Fiddler on the Roof pictures that period. I mean, you pull it forward into the Nazis in Germany, but it wasn't just Germany. All of Europe turned out the Jews to be loaded up and shipped off to, mm -hmm. to camps to be destroyed. The hatred of the Jewish people, Shakespeare includes it. Shylock is Jewish. He's a villain. Um, Christian, the Christian West has tolerated the hatred of the Jewish people. And behind anti-Semitism is a spirit. What the church isn't aware of yet is the hatred of the Jewish people and the hatred of the Christians are both expressions of the spirit of Antichrist. And that is growing all over the world. I just finished interviews with Christian leaders around the world, Nigeria, India, Pakistan, the Middle East, 300 million Christians a year being persecuted, tens of thousands of them being killed every year. The Israelis are mobilizing. You push an Israeli, the IDF is coming for you. You can kill whole villages of Christians, and the world will yawn. But underneath that is the same spirit. They hate that Judeo-Christian worldview, and they intend to eliminate it, to shut it down. That's why the church is being quiet. Intuitively, we understand the forces that are against us, and we don't have the courage to stand up. But I believe it's changing. I watch you and your courage and the boldness with which you speak. So when you give me the invitation, I show up. I am happy to sit next to you and help tell the truth. And you're not unique. There are voices beginning to emerge in the culture. It isn't confusing. When you see what Hamas did to those Israeli citizens, and we have seen it, people try to deny it and say it's manufactured. Right. Stop. When we see that, you know what right and wrong is. Now use your voice. I think that's a fantastic message, and it applies to so many things, but especially now when you know there are people's lives on the line and good versus evil really is playing out in front of us, not only in the Middle East, but here in the United States. Um, just in closing, what is your message to the, the Jewish students on these college campuses who feel like their backs are against the wall, who feel like they are not being supported, who are literally crying out for their administrations to give them some sense of, of comfort and protection. What do you tell them that they're not hearing right now that they need to hear? 
Well, I would tell them, first of all, they're not alone. That not everybody agrees with the knuckleheads that they're seeing protest. And if the administrations in those schools won't support them, won't stand with them, won't defend them, go to a different school. Go find some place where there's enough integrity that they'll stand for the truth and they'll stand up against the lie. But the, the Christian community is, uh, I'm sorry, the Jewish community is awakening in the last decade or so that there are, there are segments of the Christian community that will stand with them. Up until about a decade ago, the average Israeli on the street was far more comfortable with a Muslim than a Christian because the greatest persecutor of the Jewish people throughout history have been the Christians, not the Muslims. Fortunately, we've begun to shift that in the last decade or so. And I want those students to know there are millions of people who will stand with them. I'll come stand with them on campus without any question. And there are millions that would come stand with them. But if the administrations in those universities won't support them, get out. Right. They're clever, they're bright, they're resourced. There are places they can go and make a contribution. Don't stay where you're hated. Right. And I think many of them are realizing that at this moment. Um, we thank you, as always, for coming in, especially on short notice, giving us the good word and giving us some inspiration to stand strong when everything is going so crazy around us. Thank you, Pastor, as always, and I hope to see you very soon. Thanks for your courage. It's a pleasure. It is flabbergasting to me to watch the left advocate for Islam, for Palestine, for Hamas. It's truly like watching cows fight for McDonald's. The solidarity between the campus LGBTQ movement and the pro-Palestine cause is wildly confusing. What do you think would happen to trans sorority sister Artemis Lankford in Gaza, in Iran, in Saudi Arabia? Well, I'll tell you what Artemis is getting away with right here in the USA, and it's appalling. It's time for Final Thoughts. A beast of a biological man, Artemis Lankford, scored a major pervert victory after a Wyoming district court judge ruled the women, you know, the real women of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority, couldn't prevent Lankford from living in their sorority house. This despite their claims of Artemis, a 6'2 giant, having a visible erection around the ladies, despite their claims that Artemis would sneak photos of them at slumber parties, despite the fact that trans Artemis is a heterosexual with sexual interest in women and a Tinder profile seeking to match with women. This isn't just a miscarriage of justice. This is a perversion of women's rights, the feminist movement, and the right of real women to feel safe in spaces meant for them. I am repulsed and disgusted. But Artemis? Artemis reportedly broke down in tears after the judge dismissed the lawsuit, saying, quote, maybe I can just be another student on campus, another regular sister in the Wyoming chapter of Kappa Kappa Gamma. Maybe I can just be me. Or maybe you could have the decency to allow women to have a safe space of their own in a sorority house without having to be exposed to the outline of your erection, Artemis. But just look at how the joke of a news outlet, the Washington Post, is choosing to frame this story. Her sisters turned on her? Are you freaking kidding me? The situation is egregious enough without the media actively demonizing the women who simply wanted to feel safe and private in their own sorority house. And this is also downright gross. Why should the identity crisis of one biological male trump the safety, privacy, and rights of these young women? This is not a win for inclusion or equality. This is a win for perverts who will use this decision and this BS narrative to prey on women. 
Shame on this Wyoming judge and shame on the national chapter of Kappa Kappa Gamma for not standing by women and our rights and our spaces and our safety. Feminism is dead, dead and buried. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.